Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here and a very, very special welcome to Mr. Tommy McNulty all the way from New York City. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. Oh, that's awesome, mate. And uh, we promised before we started pressing record, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I can't help but mention the fact that Mr. Donald Trump was in the news today. And uh, we were just talking before we pressed record how uh, no matter where you are in the world, if he's making news, and you mentioned he's making a bucket load of money for the media um, over there, it's all saturated with Donald, Donald Trump. How is it over in New York at the moment? Yeah, every I opened my email this morning, I got all my news newsletters, and there was some variation of what's going on with Donald Trump. And he, he somehow figured out a way to get back into my inbox and back into my Twitter feed. Um, and just when you just when you think it's done, it comes all the way back. <laughs> right. And what's really frightening, certainly from a from a person in Australia looking at what's happening in global affairs, um, he's talking about making America great again and, and running for president in 2024. God help the world. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. At, at this point, you know, the first time around, I, I felt that it was impossible and it was kind of like a joke and more of like a marketing stunt. So, so this time around, I'm 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 just uh I'm not really going to have an opinion on what's going to happen because clearly anything can happen. Absolutely. And, you know, who who would have thought back in, when was he elected? 2016? I remember running mm-hmm. a workshop back then and I had a group of sales leaders in the room and they're almost taking bets as to whether Donald Trump would actually end up winning the election. And they were saying, most of them were saying, there's absolutely no way that they will ever allow him to run uh, and win the election. But you know what? He did, and here we are. Eight, what is it? Six, seven years later, and he's potentially running again. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, so I, I was running a sales team in New York when he won the election, and New York, you know, I, I think as most people know, is a very liberal place. And the day after the election, kind of came into the office, and there was a a, a really high level of tension actually uh, in the office, and I had a pretty junior team at the time. And the level of tension was actually around, there, there was about 95% of the people on the team were you know, clearly stated like liberal people. But then we had some folks who had like kind of openly like talked about how they were supporting Trump and they liked what he was doing. And there was like this just really palpable tension. Um, and I, I had to send an email actually like to the whole sales organization, like, hey, w- you know, the election happened. That's not what we do at this company, yeah. right? Like what we do is we we help small businesses access money. And regardless of how you feel, you know, I, I understand that maybe it's a strange day, but we, we have to go and, and serve our customers. So I do that. I feel okay. Like we, you know, we, we pop the bubble in the tension. Then every single customer that we talked to that day also wanted to talk about the election and also wanted to share how they felt about what happened. And we serve customers all over the country, right? Yeah. So we got a real mixed bag of, oh my God, the world is going to end to people celebrating. And our sales org had to not only navigate this feeling for themselves, but kind of hear it consistently from customers that day yeah. where you pick, you pick up one phone and you'd have someone who was crying about what happened. Then you pick up another phone and you have someone who is cheering for what happened. And it was just really strange. It's it's fascinating that, uh, and, and we're not we're not going to talk about politics too much longer, so I, I apologize mm-hmm. to listeners who, who may be uh, thinking, I, I thought we were plugging in to listen to a couple of sales letters talk about certain <laughs> stuff. We're talking about Donald Trump. I mean, for God's sake, what's going on? But isn't it interesting how some people, whether it be politicians or in some cases, say, some cases, business people can be so polarizing. And I remember a colleague of mine who's also in the States talking about the fact that when there's new presidents that come in, in the case of the US, um, entrepreneurs and particularly business people don't necessarily have to put all of their future on the fact that this particular president has now come in. 
because irrespective of who's governing, you're in control of your own business and therefore the actions that you take. But it's fascinating how a lot of people say, well, because Donald Trump's in here or because Joe Biden's in here, we are either um, now saved or we are now doomed. And there doesn't seem to be anything in between. Yeah, it's just a way for people to make sense of things, right? Like we we, we want a higher power to say like, we're going to be all okay. Yeah. Or we want to blame all of our problems on a higher power. And it's just kind of an easy way to sort the world and sort your life. Um, you know, I, my, my family immigrated to the U.S. from Italy in the, in the 60s and 70s. And um, a lot of immigrant families are like this in the U.S. where they're not very politically charged, right? Yeah. Um, they've got, the, they got their own problems. Yeah. Right? Uh, um, and my, my grandfather, when I, you know, I would talk about voting and he, he would always just say this, that's none of your business. Right? Like, 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 I'm like, what do you mean it's none of my business? I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's none of your business. Yeah. You go to school, you go to work, you don't worry about what they're doing. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which like, you know, it, it's not, it, I, I wouldn't say it's the correct advice, but there's something to it about just mm. like keeping your head down and trying to tune out what's going on in the broader world and focusing on your lane. 100%, 100%. And if you, if you blame external circumstances for where you're at, um, you lose control. And if you lose control, then hey, the results will, will the results will happen, but they may not be the results that you want. So if you give give blame to others and allocate blame to others, then you know what you reap what you sow. You reap what you, yeah, it's, it's 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 a great way to put it. And I think I think uh, you know it's a good segue into what's happening now, right? In in a lot of sales organizations, and and it's no secret that the market is not doing particularly well and there's a lot of change that's happened and i think it's a pretty easy um i shouldn't say it's easy i think it's a it's a simple uh challenge to ascribe like missing quota to right that yeah. the market is bad or the the you know the customer set is bad and, and you know i'm not saying that that's not true but back to your point like we, we kind of have if, if we let everything out of our control start to control us then you're kind of in you're on the path to doom oh absolutely and even in even in good times i don't know about you but i found there are still people within sales organizations who still find it opportunistic for want of a better term to justify why they're not making quota or why they're behind or why this customer Mm -hmm. won't purchase whatever the case might be whereas they just sit Mm -hmm. back and say you know what i'm going to focus on the things i've got control over uh, and take responsibility from where I'm at, you might actually have a better opportunity of converting some of those customers that I might be on the cast rather than spending so much energy blaming others or blaming the fact we don't have the right product or blaming the fact we don't have the right support structure in place instead of um, instead of taking responsibility. It's it, I, I still find it today really, really, really fascinating. Yeah, you know, we used to, um, when we used to hire for folks, uh, at my last company, we had a trait that we, um, we called it locus of control that we looked for in people. And we called yeah. it either, they either had an internal locus of control or an external locus of control. And folks with an external locus of control are sort of in this ether of what's happening outside of me, right? And, and I'm going to, whether I lose or I win, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with, yeah. you know, all the external factors. And then people with an internal locus of control almost live in this like reality distortion field where everything going on around them is just doesn't matter. They're just like, they take ownership. They might've lost a million deals because of the market, but they don't say they lost a million deals for the market. They just say, I'm having a bad bump. I'm having a bad quarter. (laughs) I need, I need, I need to fix it. Um, And the, the, the key difference between those two, those two folks is that, the internal locus of control people figure out a way out, right? Mm-hmm. When times get tough, right? They, yeah. they, they, they figure it out, right? And like, like 100% of the time, um, but the external locus of control people are, are kind of just like, wait, wait in the wind for somebody else to go figure it out for them. And <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not going to work in the environment we're in right now. Oh, absolutely. And when you think about um, the pressure on organizations, the pressure on sales leaders, and therefore the pressure on sales teams to deliver results, particularly in the times like this, we need to have, and it sounds logical when you talk about it, we need to have more and more people with an internal locus of control who take responsibility for everything that's happening, even though they may not have control over what's happening, but at least they have control 
over the choices they make in response to what's happening. And so as a sales leader, you'd much prefer to work with those people than those that say, hey, it's not my fault or um, the market's doing this or that customer doesn't have enough funding or whatever the case might be, externalization. Totally. You know, I, I, I've pretty pretty much exclusively worked in startups my whole career and I've had no shortage of disasters and catastrophes and, you know, I've probably six different company ending moments across three different companies. And in those times that are tougher, right? And I think a lot of companies are experiencing this now. If, if you're, if the people on the team aren't going to row with you, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just going to give you a bunch of excuses on why they can't row. Like you're definitely not going to make it to shore. Like yeah. the probability of making it to shore is so low already. Uh, but if you have a bunch of people that are just like, well, you know, we want to wait out the storm and it doesn't make sense to row to give all this effort if we're just going to, you know, drown out here anyway. Um, that's definitely not going to work. That's right. So, right, um, so what you need are people who are like, okay, I get it. I get we're in tough times. Whatever. Let's just Absolutely. go do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 those type of people tend to remove themselves from the pressure of having to get a perfect outcome. It's all about making progress. And if they stay the they stay the course, if they can keep, continue to row, there's a high probability of them actually seeing dry land and getting there. One hundred percent. I think success is uh, it's it's the sum of a thousand point zero one percent improvements, right? Yeah. Like that's all it is. There's no yeah. like you work in a company long enough. There's no single thing that ever happens that makes it go up and to the right, right? It's yeah. just a, it's kind of a, you're chiseling at it and, you, and then you pop a little bit and then you get stuck. You, you chisel again and then you pop a little bit and you get stuck. And yeah. um, that's really how it goes. It's never like everybody thinks there's this, oh, we did this one thing and we just shot up. Like, not really. We were lucky. The case. We caught lightning in a bottle, Tommy. There yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, and, and that <laughs> does happen. Uh, but if, if, you're, if you're not one of the fortunate companies that just, happen to get lucky right off the bat. And, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of putting one step, one foot in front of the other every day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, in today's episode, we want to talk about um, sales leadership and particularly in times of, I guess, economic challenges, uh, because there's a bit of a downturn and there's a lot of sales leaders and sales organizations across the world who are uh, finding it a little bit tougher than perhaps they have previously. Um, and Mm -hmm. you happen to be the founder and CEO of an organization known as Rhythm. Um, And by the way, this is not a paid advertising. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a platform dedicated to helping sales leaders scale and therefore helping the team scale. So we're going to talk about that. Love for you to share with the audience about uh, a little bit about the Tommy story in terms of where you started. I know you spent a a few years in, in sales leadership roles and specifically what led you to create Rhythm. Um, and what was the need in the marketplace that you, that you identified? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my story begins, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, um, you know, had a wonderful upbringing in New York City in the 90s, you know, rap music and good few food and all of that. Um, MC Hammer Pants. I, I, oh, yeah. I mean, I was I was a big <laughs> smallest person. That was that was that was me. Um, but the. Uh, I, I never had like traditional like internships or anything all through high school and college. I actually worked at a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school um, uh, for eight years. And okay. I started there te- teaching the, the babies, right? The three-year-olds. Yep. All right. And if you ever want to learn patience and how to really do customer service, I recommend doing a jiu-jitsu class with three-year-old kids. Uh, oh, because it's a, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, this was in 2000 and. 2004, 2005, and it's actually right when the UFC became popular. And yeah. um, we we actually wound up scaling to eight schools uh, yeah. in, in Brooklyn. Um, so really profitable, like enterprise, like not an enterprise company, but like it was run like an enterprise, right? We were doing millions of dollars in revenue. And I was responsible for um, like new school uh, growth, right? So what I would do is we'd open a school, I would go there and I this is how I learned how to do sales try to sign up the first hundred students. Right. Okay. And, and that, and that was like my job for a while, actually. Um, I used to walk up and down the shoot a clipboard, like, Hey, you want to come to, you want to come to a class? Great. Give me your credit card <laughs> and then come to a class. And, um, you know, that's really, I, I learned so much about doing sales and customer service and just business generally. Uh, so after I graduated college, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of pursue, I, I, I was, um, 
pretty fascinated with the with entrepreneurship. I had worked with this entrepreneur who had had all these small businesses at the jujitsu schools. And yeah. um, I wanted to kind of apply that to the tech world. And I went and got a job at ZocDoc uh, right out of college, and um, which was just really a, a fantastic experience. It was a hard environment. Um, I was an SDR. I, I had a daily quota. <laughs> daily so, quota. Daily. <laughs> so I hear folks complain about monthly quotas. So I was like, you don't know. Yeah. yeah, you don't know what it's like to have a daily quota, which was... Um, we had to set six outbound phone-based meetings every day, and you had to set a minimum of four to get paid. It was kind of how it worked. So if you didn't, so you didn't set at least four, it was basically like you didn't go to work that day because right? you weren't going to get paid. Um, but, you know, it was a grind, and I was young, and I didn't have much else to do. So, you know, I just came in in the morning. I crushed some espresso beans. I... Put put the crushed espresso beans in espresso, right, and and just started dialing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I did a I did my individual contributor stint there. Joined an early stage company called Dash after that, which was an early precursor to mobile payments technology. Uh, this was back in 2013. It's a little bit early to market. We were selling uh, pay via QR code to hospitality groups, and mm-hmm. I would get thrown out of places. Man, like this will never happen. Nobody will ever want to pay this way. It's so stupid. And now you go to restaurants. It's like you have a QR code. It's like right, like literally right on the table. Absolutely. Um, but uh, we did get we we got a couple of enterprise deals done. Wound up selling the company to Resi, uh, which is the open table competitor at the end of 2015. And then I joined uh, joined Fundera, which was a small business lending marketplace. Uh, really meant to be a, a digital CFO for Main Street businesses. Um, and that was a really fun. Uh, you know, time my career I spent almost six years there, right from the very beginning, all the way through, you know, many millions in revenue, a sales team that was, you know, 70, 80 people. And then eventually we sold that to NerdWallet at the end of 2020. Um, and then, yeah, ran, B2, ran B2B there for a while and uh, had the itch to get back to early stage building, which, you know, brings me to where I am today. So to give you a, a sense of why I, I, I quit my job and went through this, like, hyper intense period of explaining myself to everybody in my life um, <laughs> uh, like why I was leaving this wonderful job to go start something new and I wasn't going to make any money for five years and all that good stuff um, you know it was 2019 and uh, I was VP of sales at Fundera and you know I got this email um, from one of our board members actually which was directed to me with the CEO copy which said Tommy why is the SDR team 70% of our CAC. And, and what are you doing? For those who don't know what CAC is, can you just explain what that is? Yeah, customer acquisition costs. So yeah. all of the spending that goes into acquiring customer, it could be marketing, it could be SDRs, it could be paid advertising, you know, all of that. Um, and so why is the SDR team 75% of the CAC? Or, and what are you doing to drive it down? Mm. Right, that's the second question. So I didn't know the SDR team was that much of the CAC. So I certainly didn't have a plan <laughs> to drive it down. And I'm busy just like, you know, giving ourselves a round of applause. The SDR team is setting all these meetings, right? Like we're doing great. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the problem was the, the financial formula was off, actually. Um, and so even though we were setting these meetings, there wasn't any money left over <laughs> at the end. Um, so I had this moment where I was like, holy moly. If I don't get financially fluent in how this comes together at that level, at the financial planning level, at the capacity planning level, at the CAC to LTV level, not only will I wreak havoc on this company because of the decisions that I will make will cause us to lose money, I'm going to wreak havoc on people's lives because I'm going to make decisions to hire roles that we shouldn't hire for, get compensation wrong be unable to understand how we're load balancing to our leads, to our capacity, um, which is where so many of the bad sales decisions happen, yeah. right? Oh, the company just laid off 15 SDRs. Well, why did that happen? Because you hired 15 SDRs that you couldn't afford in the first place, yeah. right? Or you didn't have a plan to go from, okay, we need to expand our ACVs to account for this extra cost mm. or, None of the AEs hit quota, all right? Well, it's because you have way too many people for the, for the pipeline carry that you have yeah. in the company, right? And now you've got toxicity and famine and no one's making money. And this 
this ball of, you know, excuse my language, this ball of shit, yeah. right? It is like what happens inside of sales organizations. And I, I truly believe you can trace it all the way back to financial fluency for the VP of sales of the CRO. So long story short, I got pretty obsessed with this and, and what it would look like to rebuild something like Workday, but specifically for revenue teams, like one place to do one click scenario planning, extrapolate all of your unit economics, and then connect that to your performance management. So your employee one-on-ones and your team meetings and, and all of that inside of one platform, which is where we are today. Nice. So long-winded um, uh, answer there. So thank you for staying and, with me. And it all, and it all came from a, a note from the chairman of the board, CC the CEO. So no pressure, Tommy, but what are you doing about it? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I thought I was going to lose my job. Um, and, and that's kind of what scared me. And, you know, the, the company I was working for, we knew that our valuation when we wanted to sell the company was going to be on a multiple of EBITDA or multiple of profit, yeah. not a multiple of revenue. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I think we had this, uh, renaissance of let's get profitable, you know, back in 2018, 2019, which a lot of companies are going through right now, mm. right? And, you know, listen, I grew up as an SDR on a, you know, AE, like I was just telling you, right? I, I didn't yeah. do accounting, right? I wasn't in the spreadsheets trying to figure out the customer acquisition costs and the capacity plans. I was making cold calls all day. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't know this stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think to be a sales leader in today's environment, you have to. Uh, and if you don't, you're at a huge disadvantage. Uh, you make a great point because I reflect on my own experience as a sales leader, but also working with a lot of sales leaders. And, and if you talk to them about financial acumen, as you describe it, you think, well, you know what, all I'm interested in and all I get recognized for is in some cases, top line revenue. And, mm-hmm. and they might have margin triggers, but if you look at what is the actual profitability of what you're generating for the company and let alone what's your EBITDA as a contribution, mm-hmm. most of them would say, what are you talking about? I have no idea because they're actually conditioned to drive new revenue and to drive in some cases, new logos. And the company says, Hey, if you just get these new logos, let us take care of the, I guess the cost base and the profitability. You just go out and get new, um, new customers and new revenue. But as you mentioned rightly in today's, in today's economy, I think sales leaders have to be more educated than ever and we always talk about the fact that if you don't know your numbers, then you're in a really dis, a disadvantaged position because there are going to be people who are in the organization who are going to be asking you questions that if you don't know the answer to, you can put yourself but also your team in a very dodgy position. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's like anyone's done anything wrong per se. I think it's just been a function of what we've all had to do as sales leaders. It's like, yeah, like you said, grow, 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 grow. Yeah. Um, fine. Um, but now it's grow, but just make sure that a pile of money at, at the end when you do all that growth, yeah. right? Don't, 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 don't burn everything down in the process. And, you know, knowing that knowing numbers, you know, this is a popular topic and I think it's relatively understood. Yeah. You should know your numbers, but it's important to like really double click into like why you need to know your numbers, because if you don't know your numbers, you're not going to be able to make decisions around those numbers. So if you don't yeah. know that the SDR team has like eaten in to the majority of the customer acquisition cost, you can't make a decision around how you set quotas, how you hire, how you yeah. do lead segmentation to actually bring that down. Yeah. All right. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, when I, when I first became a VP of sales, we had an executive team meeting and the CEO looked at me and I, I don't even remember what the question was. It was something around like a, a stage in the pipeline. I didn't know the answer to the question. Um, after the meeting, he walked over to my desk and was like, that is your one get out of jail free card. Don't ever not know the answer to a question ever again. Wow. Right. Like that, that was exactly the, the word. It was, it was friendly. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a coaching moment. Um, it scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was, it, it was kind of that, that started to like reinforce this behavior for me. Okay. I, got, I need to know this stuff. So an interesting comment there, Tommy, and I'll ask you this in terms of how how much visibility did you have of the financials in the organization? Because I know dealing with a lot of organizations that sometimes 
it's the chief financial officer or the finance team that will hold, I guess, profit margins and specific financials close to their chest and not release all of that information or not give access to the sales leaders, the full, the full opening, the, the full kimono, for example, right? So, yeah. so how much did you have visibility of that? Or were you expected to ask the questions or self, um, not so much self-regulate, but self-teach and self-learn? Yeah, it's a good question. So the company I worked for, we had a, a just a really, really good financial leader um, and who was like patient with people like me who were kind of the, the village idiots of the executive team. Um, so the visibility was good, right? Like I, I, I got access to the budget and the financials and, and all of that. However, I still had to go and get this guy's time to sit down and make sense of all of it. Yeah. Right. So that was that was the challenge. It wasn't so much the visibility as much as it was like, what do these numbers mean? How are they trending? What has changed? Um, which frankly isn't fair to that person that like I have to go and, and get hours and hours of his time just to really dig into like what's going on here. Because to your point, I had already had this, you know, egg on my face moment where I'm going to destroy this company if I don't understand these financials. So I, I was taking the, I was being proactive about it. I was going, it's always, okay, like, what is our margin? What is this? What is that? Um, not every sales leader is so lucky to have a person yeah. that, 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 that's that tolerant with that level of visibility. Yeah. So there definitely isn't a way to understand it. Right. <laughs> and I think uh, that's kind of where rhythm likes to play. Cool. Because when you think about it, um, how many sales leaders out there who are running sales teams who are oblivious to the core financial metrics of what makes the company successful and how do they segment their customers? When when you're sitting in front of a a small, medium enterprise, how do we know that this customer is going to be good business? Because often Mm -hmm. a sales team is incentivized to just bring on the new logo or drive your top line revenue and we'll take care of the profitability so what sort of service um, wraparound do we have in terms of this of this support? You know, what sort of resources do we need to put in place to support this particular mm-hmm. customer? Um, it's it's a really challenging time because if if sales leaders and sales teams don't have this information, they're almost, I, my view, and I'd, I'd love your take on this, they're almost going to the marketplace with one hand tied behind their back. And on the one hand, mm-hmm. they're driving... Uh, expectations upon them in terms of getting getting new acquisitions and getting getting clients, but on the other hand, they're saying, "Well, make sure this business is profitable." And by the way, Tommy, why are you spending so much on customer acquisition? <laughs> so, what's the sales leader supposed to do? Because I know there's a lot of sales leaders out there who'll be listening, saying, "I know exactly. I resonate with this because I don't have visibility. I don't know whether my customer portfolio is 100% profitable. I don't know what my margin mm-hmm. is. What do I do?" What do I do? <laughs> well, you know, shameless plug. You know, you 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 install rhythm, but <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, aside from that, you know the uh, the important thing, which I think is you really just get ninety percent of the way there, is like you kind of just add this to your checklist of things, right? So whether it's weekly, monthly, quarterly, how, however you're managing your sales function, what are you going to do? You're going to go look at activity and then you're going to look at pipeline and then you're going to click into like all the committed deals and understand if you can help those deals and then you're going to look at the reps and who's performing and who's not performing and then the next thing you have to go do is okay how does this all roll into like broadly how we're doing mm. right like you know has our cac increased or decreased has our margin increased or decreased has our arr per employee increased or decreased and what's the trend yeah and if you're in a startup company it's like it's okay usually if this math doesn't work, but you need to know like the quantum of how off you are yes. from the math working because the math is going to have to work. Yeah, That's just what it comes And I think that's just the thing everybody needs to just really internalize. Even if the math does not work right now, it is going to have to work. So if you're 70% off, the next step is to get 50% off. Yeah. Right. Um, and and that's how if I was, you know, I'm not running a sales org right now, I'm just running a company. But if I was a sales leader, I'd be thinking deeply about that, mm. which is okay, like what is my what is my swim lane 
to getting closer to break even and profitability for this part of the organization. And then holding my peers on the executive team accountable too, Mm. right? Because if I just got myself financially fluent and how to run this team profitably, and then someone goes and spends a boatload of money that, you know, you know, destroys the whole thing, then that's not good either. Right. Absolutely. Cause if you don't and go back to the analogy of, of rowing and trying to get to the, to the dry land, if you don't know that you'd be probably rowing in the wrong direction and getting further away from your, your destination and never hitting dry land. In fact, you're probably going to sink. Yeah. This is kind of back to the, everybody needs to row in the same direction, right? Like if you're rowing and as you're rowing, there's a hole in the boat and then you're trying to hold the hole and you have people throwing water out of the boat as you row, you don't, you don't want one executive in the corner of the boat dumping water back, <laughs> dumping water back <laughs> into the boat, right? which, which oftentimes happens because, again, the last 10 years have been, well, the only way I'm, the way I'm trained to run this business is to spend money, hire people, do initiatives and campaigns and conferences and that just has to change. Right. And I think it's, it's, you know, when capital is not available, you, you gotta be pretty scrappy about it, even if you're a big company. Oh, absolutely. Cause I was going to ask you then based on your experience in running rhythm and, and looking at a specific niche in the marketplace, how have things changed say over the last three years, particularly given that we've all been impacted by COVID and the way we're working and, and I guess businesses costs might've shifted a little bit, particularly with hybrid working. So a lot of organizations mm-hmm. may not have, I guess the fixed cost or the sunk cost in terms of real estate and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. As a sales leader today, and putting rhythm to the side for a second, as a sales leader today, what are you what are you looking at, and what do you think is really pertinent for a sales leader to really dial in on? Because, um, as you rightly say, a lot of sales leaders are still conditioned. Hey, we've got to invest. So the old adage is, we can't make money unless we invest money. We've got to um, get out there and actually press the flesh, whether that be mm-hmm. entertaining or taking lunch. We talked before we press record about the, the long lunches we used to have back in the mm-hmm. 90s and 2000s, certainly in Australia before this thing called fringe benefits tax came in. But what are some things, particularly in an economy like this, that sales leaders should be looking at as not so much the vital few, but what are some key things that we should be looking at before we think about something like rhythm that to get us more educated and get us on the right on the right path? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think the first thing that you really have to do as a sales leader is like there's this internalization that nothing that happened in the last three years makes any sense. All right, like this whipsaw of down, up, down, up, right? Um, And all of the actions that we've taken through this cycle of, COVID and then post-COVID boom and then market crash and uh, war and, you know, all, all these different things that have happened. And just really having this conversation with yourself that many of decisions that you may have made over the last three years don't make any sense. Mm. <laughs> like they made sense in the moment yeah. as a reaction to what was happening in the world. But giving yourself uh, a fresh slate or, um, you know, as, as my jujitsu teacher, you know, just to give you a, a small proverb, he would always tell the story where, you know, this, this, this professor would tra- you know, travel 10,000 miles to go and find, you know, the, the, the Buddha, the, the Buddha teacher, right. To get, get enlightened. And when the professor walked in, the Buddha said, what can I help you with? And the professor just talked, right. And yeah. talked and talked and talked. So what the Buddha did was took a cup and then just started pouring water in the cup. All right. Until the cup just completely, filled up and the professor was like what are you doing what are you doing i'm you spilling water all over me and then the buddha was like this is you you got so much stuff overflowing from your cup i can't do anything so you need to empty your cup right before i can help you at all and there's this moment i think of with sales leaders and really any executive is like emptying your cups right like kind of going back to the drawing board and going back to basics i think that's the first thing the second thing i'd say is um you have to be you, go inside your company, go find that CFO, that financial person, the head of BI, whoever does it, um, and sit down with them and really dive into the next 12 months. Mm. What is the plan? What are we expecting each individual rep to do, every SDR to do, every CS person to do, and question the plan. 
right? Well, isn't like, isn't this going to mean we lose a lot of money? Like and, and really, really, really dive into it. And if you don't have that person at your company, I'm just going to give everybody a bit of a life hack here. Go and hire a business accountant mm. and pay for them yourself. I did this actually. I went mm. and uh, <laughs> like, I hired a business accountant. I paid them a thousand dollars. And I was like, listen, I'm going to give you our financials. And I'm gonna, I need you to help me get like work through this. Yeah. Right. And, and how to like figure out what's going on. Um, so that's the second thing I would say, and it's going to be different for every company. So there's not one thing I'd say you need to go look at, but understand the game that you're playing and understand how the game is meant to evolve in the next 12 months. Um, because you as a sales leader, you, you want to, you want to understand what you have to do, but then also push back on assumptions that might be wrong or anything like that. And then I think the third thing you have to do, this is less on the quantitative side is just like this recognition that like people are pretty exhausted. I think in yeah. the sales world, again, back to this whipsaw up, down, up, down, up, down, fire, higher, fire, higher, fire, higher. Um, and when you get to the point where you've right-sized your team, I think you really need to recognize that. Like you've made a decision that this is the group of people that you want. This, these are the rowers of the boat. These are the rowers to get us on shore, mm -hmm. right? Um, understand they've been rowing for a long time. And, you know, I'm not going to say you, you got to give people a break or, or reduce quota, but I think just a little bit of authenticity and a little bit of empathy in, in times like this just goes a, a pretty long way of just like, yep, yeah, I understand that it sucks. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't have a solution for you, but I know that it sucks. All right. And it sucks <laughs> for me too. Um, and by the way, like, by the way, I'm going to get fired first right so if, if 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 we if we don't get this done so i um and i think that's the that's the posture if i was running a sales team right now that's the posture i would take right like listen yeah i get it it sucks but we got to do it i think um i think they're really good points because sometimes sales leaders look for the elixir the special like from the matrix i'll take the blue or the red pill and hopefully one of them will be the the solver of all my issues mm -hmm. but we talked about and you would have experienced this as an entrepreneur as well it's not necessarily glamorous and sometimes you just have to do the hard grind and you have to stay the course but if you can be educated if you can then have um, the right sort of environment and this is where culture becomes in my view really important so how mm -hmm. how have we created a culture where people want to be part of the team even though might, there might be challenges, even though there might be some stuff that's happening that is beyond our control, how do we still mm -hmm. maintain a really cohesive team? But as a sales leader, how can we have those conversations, not just with the team, but with the senior leaders as well? So as you rightly say, go to the CFO, find out what mm -hmm. the plan is for the next 12 months. And if they're not prepared to give that to you, then don't accept that. Because if, if, the, if you think about it, and most, if not all, organizations are run by sales, right? Because if there's no sales, there's no business. And there's no business, there's no revenue. Yeah, exactly. And, and as a VP of sales or a CRO, you, you've got multiple stakeholders, right, for your role. You've got your shareholders in the company, right? So your raw revenue production, got your executive team, um, got your customer base, and then you have your employee base, right? Mm. And if, if you can't serve your stakeholders well across any of those if you're flying blind, right? That that's just what it comes down to. Um, yeah. Especially the employees, yes. Especially the employees, right? Like in the, in this in in this moment, I talked to a sales leader the other day. This is not the moment to go up in front of your team and be like, "Yes, we hit twelve percent to goal last quarter, but." we're going to do a lot better. And like, they're just going to look at you like you're full of manure, right? Like, 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 like <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah. Like, and, um, you know, you're going to do the rah, rah. And then, you know, people are smart. Like they're like, okay. Like you're trying to cheer me up versus like somebody who can go up in front of the team and be like, yeah, we had a very bad quarter. I'm going to walk you through why, like how bad it actually was. And right. Like what this actually means. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to walk us through like, the next six months, month by month or quarter by quarter on how we're going to get there financially. All right. Mm -hmm. And that might not be the most uh, exciting conversation. It might be a hard conversation for people to hear, but at least you're giving people, you're bringing people with you yes. right, on this journey that you have to go on. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus just saying, yeah, we're, you know, rah, 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 rah. Let's go and close more deals. Right. Wolf of Wall Street. 
Um, there's, a time, there's a time and a place for that. But generally not after you just, you know, had a really bad quarter. Or, Every 12% or of your quota. <laughs> yeah, it's a real story, right? Like, you know, I sell to sales leaders all day. And I There's a lot of people who are like, talk, forget about hitting goal, like not sniffing 50%. Yeah. Quite a few like $100 million businesses, like goose eggs, zero revenue, zero new revenue in Q1. Yeah. Um, that takes a toll on people. And if you want, like, again, you, you have to right size the teams potentially and ensure that you've got enough water going out of the boat to get to shore. But you also, um, you also don't want to, you know, be super inauthentic and not seem like you have a plan on what you're going to go do about it. And I reckon that's a really good point because how many organizations would have senior leaders who almost disconnected from the sales team? And it's very easy from sitting in the ivory tower to say, hey, Tommy, your team is a 12% of quota. What are you doing? It's similar yeah. to that that email you got from the board, the CEO, the chairman of the board saying, mm. hey, you're at 70% of your, your CAC. What's going on? What are you going to do to reduce it? If there's not a relationship between the sales leaders and the senior, I guess, executive suite, then mm-hmm. it's us versus them, right? The, 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 that, that is like, that's the poison pill for culture. Right, yeah. because what winds up happening is people unfortunately uh, assume the worst. Actually, um, they don't usually assume your executive team has good intentions, <laughs> um, and when they're when the disconnect is really big, those assumptions catch like wildfire, right? Yeah. Um, and may sometimes the assumptions are right, sometimes they are just panic though, um, and this was a lesson I learned so early in my career where you know the company I was working for, they had brought in this leader. Um, uh, he, he wasn't from the U.S. and we had Thanksgiving coming up. Thanksgiving in the U.S. is like a really long period of time between July 4th and Thanksgiving. People look forward to Thanksgiving holiday. You get Absolutely. to eat, see your family, kids coming home from school. Um, and this guy gets up in front of the whole sales team, about 100 people, and is like, why have turkey at Thanksgiving when you can have lobster at the end of the year, right? Um which was like his way of saying like, you should all go and work through Thanksgiving. You should work through Thanksgiving holiday. Not everybody's taking off. Um, I can't tell you, it's it's such a small thing. That guy in that moment lost the credibility of a hundred people at once. (laughs) Yeah. Literally a hundred people at once. Never trusted again. Yeah. Never, never, never trusted again. Right. From that group of people in the room. Um, and this comes back to the, you, you gotta, in, this is not a moment to go stand in the ivory tower, right? And, and to, you know, shoot orders from your, your horn and tell everybody it's gonna be okay. Like, this is when you kind of gotta go down to the team level, to the frontline level, have, like, you, you gotta, you, you have to perform as a business. Like, the, I yeah. built the whole company around like financially performing, but it doesn't mean you have to be inauthentic or disingenuous about it. Like, you can still go and be that, like, communicative, transparent, people first leader, and just be honest, like, yeah, this sucks. I don't Mm -hmm. know what to tell you. Like, we're in a weird time. Yep. We are certainly not going to get out of the weird time if we just sit here and bellyache about it all day long. (laughs) (laughs) You can play about (laughs) Everybody's in the same boat. So you're also getting paid, right? Like, let's just keep moving together here, right? And Again, I'm. Uh, that's my style, right? That that's how I like to do things. Um, and I, I just I just think like if it was me, I put, I put myself in those shoes. I know when someone's full of crap, right? It's just oh, it's very clear. It's very clear to me when that happens. <laughs> so uh, you know, and I, I I think a lot about that as a leader. Like, how are other people? Like, how are, how is my team perceiving me, right? From a trust transparency perspective. Oh, absolutely. And as, as sales leaders in particular, we've got to keep earning the trust of our team every single day. And certainly in Australia, we talk a lot about the fact that people have pretty good bullshit meters, right? And they know when they're <laughs> bullshitting you. <laughs> you you bullshit them. So be genuine, be authentic. Yeah, like it's okay. Like I I have never, like I have never had a problem from being honest yeah. about poor company performance with people. Never once, right? There's always like, you know, you work at a larger company and that you sit in a room, oh, how are we going to communicate this? We've got to send out six emails in a row and, you know, uh, we got we to gotta stabilize the team. And 
the way to stabilize the team is to stomp out rumors. Actually, yes. it's to st- that's how you stabilize the team where I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. No room for interpretation yep. because at the end of the day, people are actually okay if things are not going well and they know they're not going well. What people are not okay with is unpredictability, Yeah. right? Where I don't know. I don't yeah. know what's happening, right? And because I don't know what's happening, I can't really trust what's coming out of anybody else's mouth. Yeah. So your job as a sales leader in, in times that are a little bit tough is like you need to stomp out unpredictability as much as you possibly can, even if it means telling the hard truths. Well, and I always talk about the fact that one of the key responsibilities of a leader is to be able to articulate what reality is. Yes. As unpalatable as that reality might be, it's not going to help anybody if, as you say, hey, we're at 12% of quota this month. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a fantastic month next next month if we don't have the foundation right, if we don't know what our, what our fundamental underlying structures like or what's preventing us from making progress. The more we can have that mm-hmm. authentic conversation, particularly when we've got a downturn, particularly when there's an unpredictability in the marketplace, You've got to have mm-hmm. authenticity because if you don't, people are not going to trust you. And if they don't trust you now, it's going to be hard for them to trust you in six months' time or in 12 months' time. And you never, ever say, hey, trust me, guys. Yeah. You know, you know that Warren Buffett quote, you know, you can spend 20 years building up your reputation and only take 20 seconds to tear it down. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, it's 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 important. And it's why, you know, when you think about a leader, um, the one of the core competencies which isn't talked about very much is, is courage. Yeah. Like it, you, you have to have the courage to go and sit up there in front of a team of 10, 20, 40, hundred people and take the bullets mm. because you're honest. Yeah. Right. The uncourageous leader goes up there and, and, and makes up a story. All right, just to avoid the bullets, but um, the Music courageous leader, sleight of hand, exactly. Like, like you know, like look over, look over here. Um, so that's really important. And you know, in today's environment, I think leaders, you require operating rigor, you require courage, you require empathy, and those things aren't separate. And I think no. that's just the point. I, I like to like you can go and be crazy rigorous around your financial plan and efficiency for your team to ensure you are serving you know the board and your stakeholders and are making money yeah. you can also not be an asshole like <laughs> those th- those things are not mutually exclusive no, right exactly. like um and that that place is where you know i think sales leader nirvana exists right like listen we've all chosen this career path that you fly by the seat of our pants at any moment in time. <laughs> like you're hitting goals, you're not hitting goals. You're feeling like Superman. You're you're feeling like you're gonna, you know, <laughs> I don't know, get really depressed. And um, the key, the key is to stay, stay steady. Right. Absolutely. Because what what the team's looking for is they're looking for a leader who can create certainty, even in uncertain times. Exactly. And at that point in time the employee base they make the decision right yeah. am i gonna stick with this person or am i not that's right. right and that's okay right because if you've been honest yeah about exactly what's happened and exactly what's going to happen that it is good for people to leave yeah. it is good for them to say you know what i don't want to sign up for this yeah right you Absolutely. know that sounds cold but you know, you 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 you've you've done the work, right? You you've yep. got you you've got the right people on the on the on the rowboat now. Absolutely, absolutely. So coming back to then um, rhythm and the and the fact that you've you know this this was almost born out of uh, an email that came from you know a senior executive. Um, as as sales leaders today, um, particularly in a in a market that is uncertain, and I and I think certainly in Australia that's going to continue with uncertainty in the foreseeable future what is it that rhythm can actually provide in terms of the i guess the stability or at least moving towards a level of stability for a sales leader to give confidence to them but also by that default confidence to the organization that we we're in the right place and moving in the right direction yeah so the first the first is the real-time visibility right into the financial metrics so sales and marketing that's a percent of revenue cat your burn multiple, ARR per sales employee, and then the trend lines around all of that. Um, 
we one click into your CRM, truly one click in and then extrapolate all that out. That being said, right, those metrics are cool. They're eye candy, they're black box, but we don't just want to be another dashboard. What Rhythm does is if you input the revenue growth that you want to have, right, between Q1, Q2, Q1, Q3, whatever that time frame is, what the software does is surfaces plays okay. for you. So we want to move from 1 million to 1.5 million between Q1 and Q2. We generate four different plans. One plan might be, hey, you've got three reps that have to get to the average. Mm-hmm. Another plan might be, hey, a 4% increase in your ACV. Another plan might be, hey, you got to get better at negotiation to close one. All right. And we'll give you those generative plans, which then you choose your own adventure. Right? Right? Yeah. As, a, as a sales leader, you might say, yeah, well, you know, we can't increase our ACVs because we have fixed pricing. Cool. Get rid of that one. But yeah, these three reps should definitely be able to get up to the average. I'm going to go and build a plan with the manager to make sure they get there. Yeah. And really, you know, it's um, the way I would describe this is like if you're flying a plane, right, and you've got, you've got air traffic control, like that's, that's, that's giving you some information when you're the pilot of the plane, like, you know, Hey, like, here's what you're going to do to avoid turbulence on your way to landing. Right. And that's kind of what we are. The sales leader is still the pilot of the plane. Right. And they're still flying and they got to make the decisions in real time. We're air traffic control. Like, Hey, here are things that you can do on your way to a safe landing um, that we think are going to get you there, but it's still up to you to choose. So in other words, you get a lot more information and the sales letter can now know what buttons to push and levers to pull in order to give themselves and their team the best opportunity of making progress towards whatever that plan, whatever that target is. Exactly. And I would say if something like Gong or Chorus, for example, are giving you these insights on your deals or on your calls, Rhythm does that exact same thing, but at the system level. Yeah. So your ramp is too long, your SDRs are too expensive, your quotas are too low, right? Decisions like that, which again, usually only happen between the sales leader and CFO, you know, two weeks post-quarterly close. Yeah, which means you've got more information at your fingertips almost in real time to enable you to have a more educated conversation, not just with your senior executives, but I would say you can sit down with your your account executives and your sales team and say, hey, this is this is what the, the ecosystem is looking like right now. These are some things we can actually put in place to give ourselves the opportunity of rowing a little bit uh, right, a little bit more steadier and getting, yeah. getting quicker to the, the destination, getting to dry land. Yeah. And you can and you can avoid pitfalls, right? You know, the there's this quote that's always resonated with me, which is we we never celebrate when someone on a baseball team just makes a routine catch. Yeah. Right. But we do celebrate when the person misplays the ball and then has to go make a diving catch <laughs> where the, the best sales leaders in the world, like <laughs> pretty uneventful, right? Because what they're doing is they're getting ahead of everything. They're playing yeah. the ball routinely because they see what's coming. Um, and they're not making all these diving plays. Right. And that's, that's what we want to allow people to do. Like, Hey, your SDR costs are trending pretty bad. Um, maybe that's okay because maybe that's the decision you want to make. Or maybe you should get your management team in a room and say, hey, like we're not in a bad place yet, but like we're trending to be in a bad place in two months. Let's yeah. get ahead of this now. Yeah. It's like, it reminds me as you were talking there of Wayne Gretzky, the famous, is he Canadian? Canadian ice hockey so. They used yeah. to say, hey, I don't, I don't go where the puck is. I go where the puck is going to be. And that's, it's yeah. like a direct line. So, and we always talk about the fact that leaders need to be able to see what others can't see and cast that vision and be there almost before it happens. Yeah, exactly. And then you have to bring other people along with you. Yeah, which means that you should have a high level of confidence in your ability to put a plan, but also execute to that plan, but also have that conversation with the senior senior executives on giving them confidence that we've got the right people in place and that the company is going to be in good in good hands, particularly in times now where there's so much unpredictability around. So having that sort of information just gives more data, if you like, for us to make some educated decisions. Totally. Um, you, If you're a growing company, your plans are never going to be 100% right. You're going to have to change them. You're going to be wrong on things. 
you just don't want to be wrong all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's how you lose a lot of credibility with your team, which is like, yeah, I'm, we change the plan every single month. Yeah. Right. Uh, this month we're doing top of funnel. This month we're doing bottom of funnel. This month we're doing renewals. This month we're doing whatever training. And it's when it's if this non-cohesive series of tasks that don't connect to a greater good. Yeah. That's when I think you start to lose credibility ac- across all your stakeholders. Well, like the board is like, well, does this person really know what they're doing? And the execs are like, oh, like, are they really executing? And the employers are like, oh, can I trust this person? Yeah. So it's, again, it's a bit of a contrarian opinion that I have, but being really, really financially fluent and uh, rigorous around your efficiency is step one to yeah. being a good leader. Yeah. No, I think that's a that's a great way to end that because as we wrap up this podcast, uh, I know there's a lot of sales leaders that I talk to uh, on a daily basis that with respect, and they wouldn't mind me saying this, they're probably not as financially fluent as perhaps they need to be, but it's not necessarily, and I say this respectfully, it's not necessarily their fault because they've been conditioned to just focus on certain metrics, but not understand what those metrics actually represent. So being able to have that information and start a different conversation can put them in a much better position to not only create credibility, but also longevity for their team. 100%. Um, and I can just tell you my, my, my experience, like it wasn't that I was just not fluent. I just found it pretty boring. Right. I, like, <laughs> I, like, 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 uh, the, like, you know, like learning learning how to do accounting, right. Learning, like learning these things. And, you know, I just wanted to surface to me in a quick, easy, digestible way. And yeah. I wanted to be able to make these decisions and I wanted to be fluent around it, but I didn't want to go and take a, you know, 20 hour Excel course. Right. That's not what said. That's not what I wanted to do. So uh, that's what we do for, with Rhythm. It's like uh, plug in, get the insights immediately, take action on those insights, ensure your team is in a stable place, not just today, but for the long haul. So, Tommy, you're saying you didn't like, didn't? did you find macros in Excel <laughs> not sexy? <laughs> I, yeah, no, I didn't. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a terrible student. Um, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I immediately go from like what someone's saying, I just want to go do it. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I was, I tried to take one of those courses and uh, I didn't go back for the second class. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. So as we, um, as we wrap up, when, if people are interested in knowing a bit more about you, uh, but also specifically a bit more about rhythm and how it might be able to help them, uh, which is mm-hmm. the best way for them to connect with you and, and find out a bit more information? Yeah, so on our website, www.onrhythm.io, uh, my personal contact is there. You can schedule a call with me right from the website. Um, if you want to email me directly, I'm just Tommy at onrhythm.io. And that, that's the best way. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at City Stoop, which is an ode to my upbringing uh, in, <laughs> in Brooklyn and sitting on the stoop for many, many nights and days. Um, nice. Yeah, and that, that that's uh those are those are the ways. Awesome. Awesome. So uh any final messages for the sales leaders around the world who might be listening to this and thinking, geez, I need to be more financially literate. <laughs> it's a lot easier, I think, than people think it is. Yeah. Uh is what it comes down to. Um it's it's uh encased in this dragon of a financial plan generally, which has 15 tabs and all these numbers, but there's really only four or five things in there that you need to get out and then get out constantly. And then you take action on those four or five things. So the starting point is go and find that person inside your company and say, Hey, you're my first meeting every month. Yeah. Right. I'm putting a recurring lunch on your calendar for the second or third of the month, every month. And we're going to sit down and we're going to go through where we made money, where we lost money. I'm going to give you some ideas on what I think we can do to change it. Love it. Love it. That's where to start. Brilliant. Love that message. Get financially um, educated. Become more financially yeah. fluent. Yeah, and if you do that, not only will it help you hit your numbers, you'll just be a better people leader too. Love it, absolutely. Great way to end, Tommy. Thank you so much for uh, for jumping on the on the Zoom cast all the way from uh, New York City. I know it's morning there. It's late after late. I was going to say late afternoon. It's not even late afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's late evening here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So greatly yep. appreciate. I really enjoy this conversation and. Um, Hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. No worries, buddy. Thank you. 
All right. Bye-bye. All Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.